Do take up your, your Bible, please, and uh, once again this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, and uh, the 13th chapter, Hebrews chapter 13, finally getting to the last chapter of this particular uh, book, this letter, and uh, I want to consider those first three verses uh, of chapter 13 this morning, but before we read, I do want to pray, and uh, then we'll Uh, come to the scriptures. Lord, I do pray that as we seek to teach, as I seek to teach and preach your word this morning, that it would not come, Lord, as straw, but instead that your word would come as Jeremiah the prophet has said, as it is, as a hammer and even as fire. And may your word accomplish Uh, all that you intend this morning among us and even in us as a group gathering together uh, to worship and and doing so even as we have acknowledged you being at the center and heart of worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, every passage has a context, and, and so even though we're going to be considering these first three verses, I do want to read from verse 28 of chapter 12. So follow with me. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison. As though, in, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, I deliberately started with uh, verse 28, uh, because the therefore that begins in verse 28, at the end of chapter 12, introduces us to a very, very important issue, matter that we are considering and will consider again today, is that responsibility and privilege of being thankful and worshiping God acceptably. I want you to bear that in mind as we progress through the sermon. I want to ask practically, what does it mean? What does it mean to be thankful and to worship God acceptably? We easily speak of our efforts in worship, but practically speaking, what is it? What, what practically can we identify it to be. I want to use the J.B. Phillips paraphrase of verse 28. I believe it helps us in this regard. And he puts it like this. Let us serve God with thankfulness in ways that please Him. Worship pleases God. And so that which we do, everything we do, ought to please God. So when this letter was read and written to the original hearers, I believe that the the author would have anticipated, he would have expected what the hearers were thinking. How? How could they worship God acceptably? So to use Philip's paraphrase, what would some of the ways be? And, And we need to ask that question. What would some of the ways be in which they, which we could express our thankfulness in pleasing Him? Now, chapter 13 provides the answer. We're going to see a whole list 
of ways in which we can please God. We have this list, and it gives us a number of ways in which we can, with gratitude to God, uh, inacceptable worship, uh, come to Him, or putting it practically, we can go ahead and show gratitude to God in pleasing Him. And number one this morning, the first point I want to make, we can please Him by working in our relationships in the church. Working on the relationships in the church. There are some misconceptions regarding any local church. I want to show you this morning that even a cursory overview of what relationships were like in the early church (laughs) demolishes any thought and expectation that every believer at all times in every place lived and continues to live in perfect harmony and bliss with every other believer. That's not true. Let me give you some examples. In Acts chapter 15, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John Mark, verse 39. There arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated. And who are they? Two very significant leaders in the church. Paul on the one side, the apostle Paul, and Barnabas on the other side. They had worked together. They had spent time together. They had served the cause of the gospel together. But at this particular time, there arose a conflict They disagreed with each other, and they separated. In 3 John chapter 10, the elder John identifies a gentleman by the name of Diotrephes, and he describes him as one who likes to put himself first, not willing to accept the authority of the apostle John. And so in that particular place, they were not living in harmony. It it was not a, a, a blissful situation. We have a very clear situation as Paul writes to the church at Corinth. And he has to write to them over many issues, but one particular big issue in their church was division. The church was divided. It was fractured. And he writes, he says to them in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 3, For you are all still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? Did you you get the point that people don't always agree? Uh, People sometimes are in dispute and and in conflict. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 provides for us, for every believer, a step-by-step process of resolving differences, of resolving offenses and, and conflict in the event of one believer offending another believer. And then just a, a final example, the Apostle John in his letter, and, and the entire letter dealing with the subject, but summing it up with a verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. You get the idea? We at Central Baptist Church, no different. Relationships are not always what they ought to be. Relationships are not always what they can be, should be. And so we too, we too must show our thankfulness to God, making every effort to please Him by working on our relationships in the community 
here at Arcadia. And so Hebrews 13 verse 1 tells us quite plainly, let brotherly love continue. So now working on relationships amongst believers, and I'm going to dig a little bit deeper here today. I'm trying to encourage us in, in regard to this issue. So for us as believers, it's very different for us. In fact, it's easier for us to work on relationships, to have good relationships, compared to those people who are unbelievers, people who are in a secular environment. And I'm going to uh, ask you to consider with me a, a number of differences between those of us who are believers and those who aren't. These are the advantages that we have. Number one, believers have a much-needed engine. Let me explain. If you look at chapter 13, you'll find a list. Brotherly love, uh, sexual purity, contentment, and a number of other God-pleasing aspects of daily life. The point he's making in chapter 13 and is that these exhortations, these things that we ought to do to please God, emerge out of our relationship as believers with Jesus Christ. So for 12 chapters, he's been explaining and elaborating and pressing on these Hebrew people the, the blessing of faith in Christ, the blessing of the gospel he's been unpacking for 12 chapters. And so for, for, for us, the, the list of exhortations are not here a list of rules that you need to comply or conform to uh, to somehow uh, please God. No. There are principles which are to be worked out from the life of faith, revealing true faith in Christ, the true change of heart. Now, perhaps an illustration. Imagine your life to be represented by a, a train. And the train uh, involves you pursuing certain things that please God. So one thing would be brotherly love. That could represent a coach on the train. Another thing could be sexual purity. That would represent another coach on the train. And contentment would be another coach on the train. So you have this line of coaches connected, and progress needs to be made on this track of life. Now imagine, imagine trying to move those coaches with no locomotive, with no engine. And instead there's a, a rope uh, tied to your shoulders, and, and you're trying to move this in terms of self-effort. No progress will be made. To try and pull the coaches along in the course of your life by self-effort is not going to work. But this is where we as believers, those of you who are believers, must be encouraged. Take heart. Because the gospel is not about self-effort. Self-effort is external religion. We have a lot of culturally uh, adjusted religious people in South Africa. But that doesn't make someone a true believer. The message of the gospel is that Jesus comes and changes the hearts of people. Jesus comes by His Spirit and He dwells within us as Christian believers. And He enables us and, and He becomes the very engine. He's the locomotive. 
enabling us to pull these coaches, these line of coaches along uh, in the direction of doing things that are pleasing to Him. And so our pursuit of God-pleasing matters or uh, things that are pleasing to God becomes evidence of a Christ-like creatureliness. These aspects of daily life do not create Christian life. They reveal it. Don't forget, don't forget, if you are a believer, you have a much-needed engine that moves you along, enables you to go forward. But number two, another advantage. Believers have the gift of shared experience. There's a word well known to us. I know that most of you will probably know that there are a number of different words in the Greek New Testament for love. The particular one used here in Hebrews, let brotherly love continue, is the word Philadelphia. It's made up of two words. So it's a compound word. Uh, one word is phileo, phileo. Phileo basically is the word that means to love, to love, or to have great affection for. The second word is adelphos, which is a noun, which is the word for a brother. Or it could be translated from the same womb. That's what a brother is. Brothers of the same mother, from the same womb. What I want us to see this morning is that you and I are able to please God by loving those who are from the same womb. Those of us who are believers in this church are from the same womb. I find it helpful because it, under, it helps me understand that as we gather as a church, we are not just a religious club with like-minded thoughts. We're not just like-minded members, but those born of the same family, children of God. John 1.12, that well-known verse, but to all who did receive him. Have you received him? Are you one who has received him, who believed in his name? Well, he gave you the right to become children of God. So logically, what does that say? It means that the level of commitment for brotherly love to continue among us in the church is on the basis of us having the shared experience as children of God. The shared experience, if we dig a little bit deeper, is the grace of God, where He has brought us to a place of understanding and experience that He is the Savior, and He's introduced us to the reality of forgiveness. We're a very diverse community. Even in the smaller congregation that we have here this morning, if you look around, you'll notice uh, lots of difference, diversity, all kinds of people represented here. But you know what the Bible teaches us in extending this particular uh, principle of shared experience? Everything else must be subject to this great unifying principle that we came out of the same womb. And I'll read again, this time from John chapter 1, verse 13. Who were born... Not of blood, he's not speaking about just biological birth, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. We believers, supernaturally, spiritually born of God. As a believer, you and I have been born of God. And not just you, the person next to you. The person in front of you who is a believer. With, with, with everyone in the body who is a believer, whether younger people or older people or, or, or uh, what else have I got on my list? Uh, uh, professional people or whether you're an artisan, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a black person, whether you're a white person. The unifying principle is that we are from the same family. And you know that in your biological family. I have a, two sisters and a brother, but my brother and I, we are chalk and cheese in every way. He is a blonde. He is a much bigger guy than me. He's a very good-looking guy. Um, uh, I'm the skinny. I had black hair and now gone gray. And, and, and we, I'm, I, I like to do things practically. He doesn't. And... But you know what? And he lives in Cape Town, and I live in Pretoria. But every week, I phone him. This week, I brought him up so that he could be with us for my daughter's uh, 21st birthday. Because we are sons of the same mother. We are born of the same family. We stick together in spite of our differences. We work on the relationship. We need to do that in the church. We are born of God. Organically united in Christ in one family we ought to continue in brotherly love. Not selectively or discriminately, in spite of our differences, working on our relationships to love one another. But I want to develop it even further because there's another advantage. Number three, believers can rise above superficiality. Sometimes it is said, and I think it's true, that relationships amongst members in a church are shallow. They're superficial. Added to that, they can oftentimes be soppy or sentimental. Uh, believers easily express things like, I love you. But do they really mean it? And so as we seek to please God by continuing to love each other, instead of superficiality, we need to pursue, we need to examine ourselves for authenticity. Authentic relationships must be part of our journey in pleasing God. There is a wrong in, uh, impression of the church. There is a thought that in a local church, there is always harmony, that people always uh, have good relationships. And that's why I chose my heading is this morning, working on relationships, because among us at Central Baptist Church, conflict, I wrote in my notes, will occur, and I changed my notes this morning. Conflict does occur. I've been here long enough to know that. There are seasons. Uh, there have been times. There will be times when conflict will occur because opinions differ. Even on this uh, current dilemma we have under the COVID pandemic, there are different opinions on how we should be treating the COVID pandemic. 
There are cultures that are different. We need to know that. Let's not pretend that the differences don't exist. Some people's habits can be irritating. Isn't that true? There are personality quirks among us. They get under our skin and, 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 and irritate us. And there are preferences that will influence behavior. That's the nature of people who come together who are so different. And, and I want to say to you this morning, there's no need to pretend that these realities don't exist. But we need to work on our relationships in the church. To continue in brotherly love requires realism. Otherwise, we're just pretending. If you have a problem with a brother, if you have a problem with a sister, you deal with it. You face it. You keep short accounts with that person. We do so because we're from the same womb. It is a fact that sometimes, if I may personalize it, you may be a pain in the neck to someone. Have you ever thought of that? And if I could add to that, I know this is a fact that I am sometimes a pain in the neck to some people. That's, that's, that's true. But we still need to work on our relationships. We can love, we must love each other because of this common governing reality in our relationships. And I want to take a little bit further. This governing common reality is not that we come from the same social background. That, that's a misgiving. It's error. I don't simply associate because we, we all come from the same suburb. Or we come from the same, uh, I have listed on my uh, background, or the same uh, culture, or the same skin color, or the same tribe. Or I like the same kind of music, or we, we, we're part of the same ministry. You know what the common reality is that should govern us in our relationships is that we come from the same place. What is that place? That same, the same grace of God that redeemed me, and I want to tell you now that I know that I don't deserve that grace because otherwise it wouldn't be grace. Is the same grace of God that redeemed you. And again, if I may be so bold as to say, you also didn't deserve it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. We come from the same place. It is natural. It is natural. Let's repeat that. To feel an affinity with those who come from the same place. Sadly, we stop short. And we feel an affinity with these people who come from the same country. I've just used the Zs. I easily identify with people who come from Zimbabwe, if you're Zimbabwean. Zambian, if you're Zambian. Or Zurich, if you're from Switzerland. Me? I know I feel an affinity with people who come from the south of Joburg. When I see somebody from the south, man, I, there's a connection. But... That kind of connectivity, regardless of what it is, must evaporate into the background. Why? Because it cannot be compared to the affinity we believers have with each other as recipients of grace. Let me try and explain it. We all start at the same base. And I want to call that base this morning the gutter. From which gutter were you rescued? 
That's, that's the mindset that we need to have as believers. Now, maybe some of you say, well, I come from a self-righteous gutter. Somebody else may say, I come from a sexual uh, impurity gutter. Somebody else may come from a, a, a racist gutter. We all started in the same place. It's the gutter. It's the gutter because we're all a bunch of sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat as Isaiah proclaimed. Remember when he proclaimed in the presence of God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I'm driving this point so uh, uh, importantly this morning because uppermost and central and crucial to our connectedness in relationships, our acceptance of each other, our, our identity, which is the big thing in the world today, uh, influencing the church in the wrong way. What is central? The one who took us from the gutter. Jesus, the rescuer, the redeemer, the savior, the Lord, the king. It's not my racial or my cultural or my social or my economic. No, 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 no. Wrong. Colossians 3 verse 11. Yeah, there is no Greek, Paul says to the church at Colossae. They are Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and in all. Everything else submerges and that emerges as uppermost. We are not like society then or society today who divides itself on the basis of culture. Let's not do that at Central. Let's not lift up our cultures, our individual cultural identity or ethnicity or social standing or skin color. Jews in Groenkloof, Indians in Lordium, black folk in Mamelodi, wealthy people in Waterkloof, Afrikaans people in Pretoria North. No, we don't operate like that. We're to be, it's a phrase I want to teach in this church. It's the biblical way, not the secular way. We are to be a whosoever community. Remember that well-known verse? For God so loved the world, the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him. No matter where you come from, we're all from the gutter. Whosoever, the rescuer, whosoever believes in him is welcome. Doesn't matter who comes. Doesn't matter in what proportions they come. We are whosoever people, and we have every reason to rise above superficiality. We, we can rise above the pretense in relationships in the way that we conduct them. Let us work on our relationships in the church. There's a second way on this list in Hebrews 13, and I'll be a bit shorter on this one. We practically, we can go ahead and show our gratitude to God in pleasing Him. And I've called it working on relationships with visitors. Jabu asked if there were visitors this morning. We regularly have visitors here. I also know, and, and uh, we all know, I believe, that hanging out with friends is an easy thing and it's a good thing. Uh, my family joke with me. I have a friend in this church who will come and have coffee with me from time to time. And, and I'll say to my family, so-and-so is coming. And they say to me, oh, three hours. 
<laughs> We're not going to see you at least for three hours. Because as friends, it's easy to chat and, and, and just enjoy each other's company. But what about people we don't know? Well, we're not left in the dark. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 tells us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now the command has a context in the first century. The hotels and motels, they were called inns back then, they were not pleasant places. They were mostly dangerous places to be. They were immoral places to be. Uh, guests easily became targets of thieves and prostitutes. So what did the Christians do? They welcomed traveling believers, especially those who labored in the gospel. We see that in 3 John chapter 5 onwards, inviting them into their home, even people they'd never met before. Now, our context is a bit different, but the principle remains. We ought to, we must reach out to visitors in some way or another. Now, we have in our church from time to time missionaries who pass through the church. We have missionaries that come back home. At the moment, Lauren McGill is one of our missionaries. She's back home from Central Asia. Ideal opportunity to show hospitality, to reach out to someone who's been absent, somebody who needs encouragement, somebody who needs to be spurred on in her work. Almost every week we have visitors here at Arcadia, we have visitors at the Hill. Some are passing through our city, some are looking for a new church. It pleases God. It's part of our worship when we step out of our comfort zones to make visitors feel welcome. It pleases God when we exercise hospitality in our homes to visitors. Or if I could take it to the student thing this morning, sign up after the service. Invite two or five or ten students to your house for lunch or for tea. Strangers, honoring God, pleasing God. The author adds, showing hospitality to strangers. Some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, I don't know if any of the students are angels. I don't think so. These men, he's referring here back to the Old Testament in Genesis 18 and 19. Remember the story with Abraham and Lot, the two visitors? Eventually they discovered they were angels, messengers from God. But the point is that we should not be looking to see, well, who's an angel, who's not. The author's point is that we should be hospitable to strangers, knowing how important or far-reaching a simple act of helpfulness to someone else, maybe. Working on relationships with visitors. Just to finish off thirdly. A third way where we practically can go ahead and show our gratitude to God in pleasing Him. Working on relationships, and I've called, them, I've called this with neglected believers. The author is reinforcing the ministry that they were already doing uh, uh, in the Hebrew context, in chapter 10, verse 34, he had commended them for compassion on those in prison. Prisoners here in the book of Hebrews, these are not thieves and thugs that are now being visited uh, in the first place to be evangelized. These are Christian men and women who were thrown into jail because they were followers of Jesus. 
because they held to the convictions of the truth that God had revealed. They are victims, they were victims of injustice, victims of mistreatment. They needed encouragement. And so he says in, in the third verse, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, that those who are mistreated. So I ask myself the question in the light of our introduced segment, a hashtag, what was God doing back in Rome? Never mind what God is doing at Central. Well, Paul tells us, Paul tells us, he gives us a, a, a hint, the care that he received in a Roman prison. Again, not as a thief, not as a thug, but because he was a believer. And sadly, he reports to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.15, a whole bunch of believers neglected him. He says, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among who are Phygelus and Hemogenes. Turned their back on Paul, but not Enesiphorus. What did he do? He often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. God at work. Hashtag God at work through Enesiphorus, refreshing Paul in prison. So the question of, of course, and I think it's speculative at this time, are we willing, are you willing, am I willing, are we ready to reach out unashamedly to any among us who may end up in jail because of convictions? We don't buckle like many celebrity preachers are buckling because they don't want to come under fire being on the wrong side of history. Time will tell. Time will tell. But think about it in the meanwhile. In the present, I do believe we can extend this principle of working out relationships to those believers who are neglected. I want to call them the isolated in our church. There are people who are isolated. There are people we call shut in. If you don't know it, there are a group of people in our church who, are, who feel as if they're in prison. A group of people who are unable to get out. Many instances, not even their family visit. They feel desperately lonely. They feel isolated. And if I could back up a little bit, there are men and women who's, who have served this church faithfully and sacrificially. And I even want to mention names this morning. Maybe some of you don't even remember them. Moya Fleming. Elizabeth Scott. Edie Clanance. You know where they are? They lie in a bed in a frail care. They're weak. They're unable to come out. They're able, unable to get out. And sadly, they're mostly forgotten, stuck in a room, waiting to die. We can work on those relationships. Any one of us. Popping in. Various things we can do. We can visit. We can pray for them. We can drop them a note. We can care for them. And so I want to urge us this morning to think about how we go about working on our relationships to the neglected, visiting the sick and the elderly and the frail, remembering, remembering Jesus when he said those who minister to the needy, in essence, are ministering to him. Matthew 25. And then just to add... Under the same heading, the question, 
Do you, do you currently know anybody in this congregation who is being mistreated? And they're just needing someone to come alongside of them. Well, if you don't, I want to tell you we do have some folk in our church. We have people who are not getting salaries. Simply because of COVID. Others because of corruption and theft by boards and CEOs. Others who've had their salaries cut. Others who have been treated unfairly at work, not getting work because of their particular uh, place of birth or the color of their skin. This is a practical message this morning. It is our intention at Central, if you don't know this, to grow in our love and devotion to God. I believe that this sermon demonstrates how we do that. Caring for one another. God's word is clear. I can't believe I'm teaching Romans at the moment in the Bible study on a Wednesday night. The practical application just this last week or the week before was also on loving one another. It's all over the Bible. We do so in response to grace and forgiveness. Showing gratitude by making every effort to please Him. And so I ask in closing... On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm doing a survey. Don't put your hand up. You answer the question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing in your relationships in the church? How about your relationships with visitors? You can correct that one today. You can sign up. Or thirdly, your relationships with neglected believers. Lord, I do pray that you would help us be sensitive to others. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear of those who are in need, those, Lord, who would be so encouraged, enabling us to be an instrument of great usefulness in your hand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.